All right, hey, we've spilled on long enough here. Let's kick it over to our interview with John Reed. I think fans are really going to appreciate this one. John is uh, one of the most entertaining guys, not only in the Knoxville media market, but I think in the entire SEC. He gave a hell of an interview here. Well, we're pleased now to be joined by the world-famous John Reed. And, of course, all Tennessee fans know who that is. If you're not following him already, you're missing out. That's at John two underscores read on Twitter. He's the host of Talk Sports on Fox Sports, Knoxville Fan Run Radio. And of course, you got to check out his podcast. It's called Reed's Ranch Podcast. And that can be found everywhere podcasts are found. And he's got uh, the podcast itself has got a Twitter handle at Reed's Ranch Pod. Thanks for joining me, John. I really do appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I'm glad we got all the boring stuff out of the way. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, just overall thoughts, man. What do you make of uh, just Tennessee's, you know, just when I think I've seen it all, I've never seen a damn program, you know, kind of go out of its own way to investigate itself and fire a coach and all this. Um, I mean, are, were you surprised that uh, that this is just kind of where we're at? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would like to see the details in the timeline. There's been different talks about, you know, whether or not Tennessee launched the investigation on purpose, whether it was kind of an accidental leak that happened in-house. And then other people think, you know, during Pruitt's lawyer thinks that, you know, the investigation was launched just to try to get out of the buyout. So I wish I knew the actual reason it was happening. If Tennessee did this to themselves to try to save, you know, 14 or $15 million, I think it was really short-sighted. But, uh, yeah, Tennessee has brought, brought this on themselves, and we'll see where we go from here. You know, looking back at the Jeremy Pruitt era, you know, five, ten years down the line, what are you going to remember most about uh, what Jeremy Pruitt did at Tennessee? The um, recruiting was um, good, (laughs) to quote Bill Fulmer. No, I'm just (laughs) obviously kidding. Uh, I think you have to remember the first thing that will jump out to me uh, as of right now. Now, again, Mike, I'll, I'll change my answer if Tennessee finds themselves in trouble. But the loss of Georgia State, I think, will be the first thing people remember. Just the embarrassment they felt that day when you score a last-second touchdown as time expires to cut the lead to eight points against Georgia State. That was the lasting image I'll have, Um, again, assuming we don't actually get hammered by the NCAA. Now, let me ask you this, because you follow this program, you know, as close as anybody. Why in the hell can't Tennessee football get right when... I know it's been down for a while, but hell, we're talking a top 10 program here, multiple national championships, SEC championships. Why the hell are we going through this every three to four years? I think the biggest issue, Mike, is well, there are a couple things. Obviously, NF's leadership, you know, people talk about the boosters. People talk about the people in control making bad decisions. But to me, maybe the biggest reason is just the SEC is just so much better than it used to be. Everyone has money. Everyone can compete. Alabama obviously hit a grand slam with Nick Saban. That makes it tough on you. Clemson, you know, has hit a grand slam with Dabo Sweeney. So, like, you're fighting two, a two-front battle, a two-front war with, you know, your natural rival in Alabama or your historic rival in Alabama and your, you know, regional rival against Clemson. And Tennessee just... The most frustrating thing, Mike, is that Tennessee is just okay with it, I guess. Like, you see what happens at Alabama. You see the rise they're on. 
And your response was, let's hire Derek Dooley. Then it's, let's hire Butch Jones. And then it's hire, let's hire Jeremy Pruitt. Like, Tennessee sees with Alabama what one hire can do. It sees how much money you can make when you make the investment and hire a a big-time head coach. But for some reason, we've always just gone bargain bin shopping. So there's a lot of reasons why Tennessee can't get it right. But for me, it's just they can't get out of the wrong way. Now, after all this uh, saga, Philip Fulmer, obviously the one that brought in Jeremy Pruitt, and now Tennessee potentially looking at violations. What? Let me ask you about the violations and all that. Are you hearing anything on, you know, they've been kind of vague about uh, level one, level two, and there's, there's a ton of them. Are you hearing anything behind the scenes on what exactly Tennessee is facing here? I mean, the number that's it, – it's a wide gap. It's uh, I've heard from, you know, dozens to up to 50. So, you know, anywhere between 12 and 50, I guess, which, you know, level one, level two, those are going to be bad. The question is, you know, does the NCAA show some leniency to Tennessee, seeing how Tennessee did launch this investigation and did clean house themselves? You know, the news came out from Trey Wallace before we're recording that, you know, Tennessee is basically – Paying Philip Fulmer his buyout, a.k.a. he got fired. So you can go to the NCAA and say, look, we fired everyone involved with this. We're trying. We, we failed to monitor, so sure, give us a little bit of a punishment, a bowl ban, some scholarships, whatever. But, you know, the violations could range. You know, you had Dan Patrick yesterday saying McDonald's bags of cash. I don't know if they were that sloppy. I hadn't heard that one yet. But, you know, I had heard that. It was pretty. It was pretty sloppy in terms of hotel rooms and envelopes at the front desk full of cash, things like that. So, you know, Tennessee was definitely cheating, which makes it even funnier when you go three and seven while you're cheating. But, uh, you know, as far as how many there are, anywhere from twelve to fifty. Who knows? Yeah, I'm glad you referenced that. Uh, I was going to mention it. Trey Wallace again. He's been all over this story. He was the one that uh, just announced, like you said, that uh, t- looks like Tennessee is going to pay out Philip Fulmer's uh, basically his entire salary here, even though he's resigning, firing, whatever you want to call it. But uh, what does that do to Philip Fulmer's legacy in your mind now that uh, he's the one that uh, hired Pruitt and, and here we are? I mean, some would say that Philip Fulmer ran the program into the ground in 2008 and came back and finished the job in 2021 is, you know, kind of the, the morbid look at it. I mean, I don't know. You can view Phil Palmer as a 70 year old grandpa who was just in over his head if you want and feel bad for him of all he tried his best, or you can look at him as kind of the way that he's been throughout his career, which is, you know, egotistical and wanting to take control. You know, Tennessee fans will talk about the Johnny major situation when he took the job from Johnny and, you know, John Curry probably doesn't have very good thoughts about Philip Fulmer after the last coaching search in 2017 when it was rumored that Fulmer was kind of, you know, undermining him and, you know, positioning himself for the job. So he tried to run another coup. He successfully did it. And then his tenure has just been filled with failures. I mean, he gave Holly Warlick an extension before having to fire her the next year. He almost lost Rick Barnes to UCLA. You know, Randy Boyd had to step up and cut a check to keep. Rick Barnes. And then you have Rick Barnes saying, yeah, basically, if, if you say he would have paid me, I would have left. You know, that's the guy that was coming off having your team number one in the country. And, you know, then people will be mad at the extension he gave Jeremy Pruitt before this year. Full disclosure, I wasn't necessarily mad about that one, you know, leading into the 2020 season. 
but you know, just misstep after misstep for Fulmer. So, you know, the, the tenure could be described as a disaster. You're three and seven facing 50 level one violations. How else could you describe it? <laughs> now I referenced uh, your podcast. If anybody's not checked out the uh, most recent reads ranch podcast, you know, John talks about this for about an hour. So, you know, you can get the full thoughts on it, but you know, my feeling I've listened to your latest episode. You're not a huge fan of Kevin Steele. Thoughts on uh, you know him being interim and you know a lot of speculation. I, I I guess that's all it is right now at this point. But you know it certainly seems like they may be setting up for him to be the head coach for an entire season and, until they can get another guy in there. What are your thoughts on on that? If that's the future of Tennessee in 2021? Well, you know, Mike, I would say that doing it for a year would be a disaster. Uh, I think if you are going to let Kevin Steele somehow work his way into this job a little finger his way in this job for the few Game of Thrones fans that won't get repulsed by that reference <laughs> after uh, the last season there. But, you know, if you're going to let Kevin Steele get the job, I think you have to give him three or four years. Like the, the in-state recruiting class is too important. You know, you can't – when's the last time someone successfully did a one-year interim? You might know better than you better than I do. Like you, you follow college football more closely than I do. Like Luke Fickle did it for one year, and then they hired over Meyer. Mm-hmm. Matt Luke, Matt Luke got what two years to do it at Ole Miss? Well, two plus the interim year, so three. And I, I okay. think I think the best example would be, and of course they had to move on from him, but Baylor they had their scandal. They named uh, I think his name was Jim Grobe, the coach for the rest of the year. That was because that was in the middle of the summer, and then they turned around and hired Matt Rule. Okay. So, like, I mean, with, with Ohio State, with Luke Fickle, like, you know, they were able to go get a superstar. And also, like, the national signing day was in February. Mm-hmm. I think the, part, the bad part of the, you know, interim idea is that, Mike, you know, 75% of these commitments happen now or, you know, you get signed by December. So, like, what's the plan? Have an interim coach until the late November and then make a decision and hire a coach and give him two months, two weeks to get a class in? That, I think, needs to be talked about. I don't want Kevin Steele. I think that would be a mistake, but I think giving him only one year would be an even bigger mistake. So, ironically enough, if you're going to make the mistake, let's make it a three- or four-year mistake, which is probably what Tennessee will do. Now, the wild card guy that uh, you seem to be touting, I want to get your thoughts on this Gerard Mayo, former Tennessee standout and coaching in the NFL. Thoughts on him as a candidate for Tennessee? Uh, Thank you for bringing that up because I want to I want to hash it out. I want to hash it out with somebody. Let me ask you what your thoughts are on it. You tell me what you think first, and I want to kind of just bounce back and forth because I've seen a lot of the same critiques or a lot of the same problems with it. So I, I want to hear your thoughts on Gerard Mayo at Tennessee. Honestly, I got nothing against the guy, but I think that'd be a complete disaster as well. Okay, and I'll tell you why because I think Tennessee football is in a place where you know I'm kind of over this logic that. You need SEC experience. I'm over that you need, uh, you know, you know j- that you can coach in this league. What Tennessee needs is a head coach. I don't care if they get them from FCS, Division Two, II, Division One, the Sun Belt. Someone that has proven that they can build a winning football team. And I will go a step further. And it may be stupid to just eliminate half the side of the ball, but just the way college football is going, I think you got to bring in somebody that knows what the hell they're doing on offense, because even if you, let's say you bring in Gerard Mayo, uh, I think his tenure is going to be defined by the staff he builds. And 
And what happens if he hires a great offensive coordinator in a year or two, he's gone, he's got to do it all over again. Well, I would say the same thing for any of the candidates, Mike. I would say if you hire, you know, Kevin Still, you're going to have to make sure he has the right offensive coordinator and the right philosophy. If you hire Jamie Chadwell, you're going to have to make sure he can do the defensive side of the ball. And like, you know, in, in terms of a head coach that's proven, so like, uh, who does that mean? Like Gus Malzahn? Who, who are we thinking like should be the head coach of Tennessee? Are you on the Jamie Chadwell train? Like, where are you looking? Yeah, I'm a big Chadwell guy. And I got okay. even, even more when I found out uh, he named his son after Heath Schuler. I don't know if you know that, but uh, oh yeah, for sure. Like he, he's, Ch- a, he's Chadwell, a Tennessee Chadwell man. You know check a, Chadwell checks a lot of the same boxes. Like the way I've said it on my show, talk sports twelve to three every day, is that I, I want to swing for a home run, and I think there's two candidates that could be a home run, and I think it's Jamie Chadwell, and I think it's Gerard Mayo. So I don't want to campaign against Jamie Chadwell because you know I think he would be a good coach, but. When you talk about experience and lack of experience for Mayo, like, are we sure Jamie Chadwell can do it in the SEC? Are you sure that he can go in and recruit against, you know, against everyone else in the SEC and land four and five stars? Do you think he can win here with three stars? Like, it's a whole different ball game at Coastal Carolina than it would be at Tennessee. I think everyone would agree with that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, I don't think that's a no-brainer. And, you know, I see people that, you know, want to put down Mayo as, you know, lacking experience. And to me, that's crazy simply because you're basically saying you would think he's a better candidate had he not been a top 10 draft pick and an all-pro linebacker and a captain on the Patriots defense calling their plays and helping organize their defense for a decade. You're saying you would like him better if he was a defensive backs coach at Valdosta State for two years and then worked his way up to Georgia Tech as a defensive coordinator. Like, to me, the experience can be either on the field, actually playing and communicating defenses and you know, now two years as a Patriots defensive coach, calling plays, helping call plays, helping set up practices and run the defense, or you can just be in a headset your entire career coaching. Like, I think it's, I think it's really disingenuous to downplay his experience just because he was playing at a high level, you know, with a really, really successful organization, learning from the greatest coach of our generation mm-hmm. to, you know, say, well, it'd be nice if he actually was coaching instead of playing. I, I just have a problem with that line of thinking. All right. Well, you, hey, you're talking me into it, so I appreciate you doing that. Uh, one last thing on Tennessee. These... Hold on, hold on, hold on, Mike. Hold on. I want to do one more thing. Okay. I just want you to picture, I just want you to picture Gerard Mayo walking in to a recruit's house, top 10 pick in the NFL draft, Super Bowl championship. He can talk to you about playing at a high level in college. He can talk to you about being an all-pro, a defensive rookie of the year. He can talk to you about all of those things. He can sell you on football. And he's going to sit. He's going to say, well, you know what I did after football? I, I quit football. I retired. Most people, you know, the average NFL career is only three years. I was lucky enough to get eight before I had to get out for injuries. And then I was able to go become a vice president of a, of a tech company. I was able to set myself up for a future after football. So what I'm going to do for you at Tennessee is I'm going to teach you how to be a better football player. I'm going to teach you how to be a better person. I'm going to set you up and show you that there is life after football that you have to prepare for. And, oh, by the way, if you want to go to the NFL, I got good connections there. I played there for eight years. I was a defensive rookie of the year. I was an all-pro. I did win a Super Bowl, and I did learn under Bill Belichick. To me, like, that's, a hard, that's a hard recruiting pitch to turn down. I just urge everyone, if you're on the fence about Drod Mayo, go find some of his YouTube clips. Listen to him speak. I think uh, uh, people have a big misconception. They're probably thinking, oh, SEC linebacker, oh, dumb jock, all those same tropes. 
go listen to Gerard Mayo speak. He is eloquent. He is smart. He checks all the boxes for me, except your quote-unquote experience. But again, he did it for eight years at a high level, learning in the best organization in professional football. That's all I'll say. Next question, Mike. Well, one uh, quick rebuttal there. Well, I guess not a rebuttal, but uh, you know, to piggyback off what you just said, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's a pitch that not another coach in the SEC could make. And we're seeing, I know Dion Primetime, he's he's a huge name, but hell, he's revitalized that Jackson State. So you might be onto something with that one. And I, and I guarantee you every Tennessee fan, if you were to replace the name with Gerard Mayo with Peyton Manning, despite not having two years as an assistant coach, they would be on board with it to give it a try. I listened to him for years talk about T. Martin, who was a failed coordinator that didn't even get to call third down plays at USC, talk about how he could recruit and do all these things. Rod Mayo is infinitely better than both of those guys as a candidate right now. That's all I'll say. I'm, just, I'm fed up with it, Mike. That's my guy. Mayo me. Give me Gerard Mayo. One, one more thing. If, if there is sanctions, let's hope it's not too bad. But if there are, the fan base is probably going to be a lot uh, you know, more lenient, not expecting huge things from them right out the gate either. So maybe you give them time to, to build up the program that way too. So I'm, I am starting to buy into it. I really am. Okay. All right. I like to hear it. And that was a part of the thinking. Like, you know, if it is a situation like, again, where you're in trouble, like you said, the, the expectations and the requirements should be a little bit lower coming out of the gate. But, like, I don't want people to think Tennessee fans are unruly. We gave Butch Jones five years. Like, we would have given Pruitt another year had he not lost by 30 points to K- Kentucky and lost seven straight games by double figures, excluding a Vanderbilt game when they had 40 scholarship players. Like, I know we get a bad rap as Tennessee fans, but, you know, there are still a lot of people defending Pruitt up until the day he got fired. We'll, we'll give a coach time. Of the last four Tennessee hires, Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt, which one do you think proved to be the worst hire for the Tennessee program? <sighs> you know, tough to say. I mean, do you, do you go with the first domino that knocked it all over with Kiffin leaving you in the middle of the night? Because you could talk about his resume and, you know, he was thought to be an exciting hire. You could talk – like, Dooley never made sense on paper. Like, that, that's the thing that confuses me. Like, Dooley's resume wasn't good. He never should have gotten the job. He obviously set Tennessee the furthest back when it came to not recruiting any offensive linemen in his last recruiting class. So I have to go with Dooley as the worst. However, like, I do think that maybe Dooley – I don't know if I'll go all the way and say he had the best football mind, but, like, Dooley was pretty good offensively. The SEC East was just so tough whenever Derek Dooley was here. That 2012 schedule that he got fired for, he was a lot of, played a lot of top 15 teams. But, yeah, Dooley, Dooley set Tennessee back the furthest. All right, final question for you. You know, this is a little bit of a downer, although you picked me up with that Gerard Mayo stuff, but a little bit of a downer. It's dark times on Rocky Top. Can you remember a time – and let's just assume all these guys are on the roster next year. There's no telling if they will. But can you remember a time where Tennessee had a more talented quarterback room than it has with uh, Harrison Bailey, Hendon Hooker, and Caden Salter? I mean, there was a time, wasn't there, when you had Dobbs, Raleigh Ferguson, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe those two. Or I guess like if you just go by star rating, you had – Dormady, Dobbs, and Garantano at one point, right? Like, those, all those guys were four stars. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Salter and Bailey, which, you know, after watching Bailey play, I don't know how much talented I actually think he is. I know that might make some Tennessee fans mad, but 
I'm excited to see Salter, and I think Hooker can do some good things. So the quarterback position should be better. You know, it'd be hard to be worse, Mike. The, the quarterback room was terrible last year. There was no talent in there. So, you know, that is a positive. And, you know, I, I don't think that this team is going to be awful next year. Like, I'm not going to say they're going to win eight games, but, like, this team shouldn't be awful. They should be competitive next year with a couple of tweaks. Like, if you get a competent coach in here, it's not like the cupboard's actually, like, completely bare. Simply because, like I said, and like you brought up, the quarterbacks, there's some, there's some hope there. Yeah, and the non-conference schedule looks really light as well. Yeah, just beat Pittsburgh, bro. That's it. Just beat Pittsburgh. All right, he's the host of Talk Sports on Fox Sports Knoxville, John Reed. Check out Reed's Ranch Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow him at John 2 underscores Reed. Thanks for joining me, John. I really do appreciate you. Hey, Mike. No, I appreciate you. Scale of 1 to 10, how do you think I did? 10. I mean, I was I was ready to call you up okay. for this uh, Gerard Mayo stuff, but... Man, this, okay. that's why you're a good you know, host on Talk Sports, Fox Sports, Knoxville, because you got me to do a damn 180 on him. I'm, I'm fully Chadwell, but if they hired Gerard Mayo, I'm, I'm not going to be upset with it. Like I said, I don't think that Chadwell's a bad hire, so please don't take that away. Because like I said, I think him and Mayo are my two potential home runs. Now, don't get me wrong. They can come here and fail. Anyone, anyone can come here and fail unless Tennessee wants to hire you know, Bob Stoops or Urban Meyer, and that's not happening. So there's no slam dunks. So I want to swing for the fences, man. Like, Chadwell could be a superstar here. So could Gerard Mayo. Like, let's not settle for a guy that's going to max out at eight wins. Let's go for somebody who might be here for 15 or 20 years and get this thing rolling. Let's swing for the fences. Jamie Chadwell, Gerard Mayo, lock it in, Mike. Let's roll. Let's do it, man. Sounds good to me. Thanks again for uh, joining me. And, uh, man, take care. You too, brother.